Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ulysses Claw plans to sell the vibranium to an American buyer in South Korea tomorrow night. Crow has escaped our pursuits for almost 30 years. Not capturing him is perhaps my father's greatest regret. I wish to bring Crow back here to stand trial. Wakanda does not need a warrior right now. We need a king. My parents were killed when he attacked. Welcome to Neon. The podcast that takes pop culture, strips it bare, and reveals the real history behind it all. I'm Jem Daduchu, your host, and this time round, we're talking about Black Panther. Which means, of course, I'm going to be raising Trial by Ordeal, William Marshall, Egyptian Gods, Cultural Appropriation, the Dahomey Amazons, and finally the most expensive holiday in history. To go here, Brenda, there's a guy that's been creeping around since at least 1700. Not possible. You have been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual? About Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty good place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, but always in a respectful manner, to question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. Black Panther has, of course, been roaring up the charts. And it's been getting pretty much universal praise. I've seen it, and I think it's an absolutely excellent movie. But to give you a little bit of background about Black Panther himself and the comic, let's go back to the late 1960s, where we, of course, are in the middle of the civil rights movement in America. And it was at that point Marvel thought that they needed to have a major character that was black. And so Black Panther was born. However, perhaps a little too much emphasis has been put on Black Panther in the multiplexes because I've heard a few people say, at last, a major superhero that's black. Ignoring the fact that there have been quite a few movies of that type in the past, of varying quality. I think we can no doubt argue that Black Panther is one of the best black superhero movies, but it's not the only black superhero movie that most people seem to be thinking it is. 
Just before I go into some other examples there, Black Panther himself was created in the late 1960s before the actual Black Panther movement. There are some people who think that they took the name from the movement, or maybe the movement took the name from the cartoon character. It's debatable, that one, but definitely the comic book came out before the Black Panther rights movement in America. In fact, when they did come to power, and they were certainly controversial in their time, particularly in the uh, early 1970s, that Marvel actually temporarily renamed Black Panther to Black Leopard, but nobody liked that. So back he went to being Black Panther. However, what we've got here is other superheroes that are black. And the one that I feel most passionately about is Blade. The Blade movies starring Wesley Snipes and Blade is a Marvel property for the record. His first movie came out just before the X-Men movie, the first X-Men film, and really set the scene for more mature, more almost grounded, almost is the important word there, almost grounded superhero movies. No spandex here. But if you don't know, Blade is half vampire and he spends his time fighting vampires. Vampires, of course, are fictional. So in that respect, it is still very fantastical. But the thing is, there were three of these movies and they were big hits in their time. And Wesley Snipes is not an obscure actor. So quite why the Blade series has all been forgotten, I'm not sure. This is a simple answer to that. But I think it's a little bit unfair not to count him. There were some terrible movies, uh, Meteor Man. Uh, there's uh, Steel starring Shaquille O'Neal as uh, in what? obviously is some kind of horrific polystyrene foam rubbery type outfit which is awful and dreadful in every possible way and basketball players generally can't act but Blade was full-blooded in every possible sense. I remember the opening scene of the first movie where Tracy Lords, a controversial lady who'd earned her living um, doing something rather adult, she lures in some guys into a basement nightclub rave and everybody's jumping up and down to the pounding tunes and, you know, the, the whole cinema and indeed if you're watching on TV, you know, your whole room will be filled with this pounding tune. Don't forget, it was the 1990s, so it's got to be hard house there and as the music reaches a crescendo everybody starts lifting their arms and you can see there are sprinklers in the ceiling you think oh it's going to spray water and everyone's going to be dancing around in slow motion in water it's going to be so cool but then the sprinklers open and it's blood coming out and a lot of the crowd realize that they're the humans and in amongst them are the vampires and they're about to be turned into dinner at that point Blade appears and proceeds to eviscerate all the vampires. It's an amazingly cool scene to introduce a comic book character. The other thing that Blade doesn't get credited for is a lot of stuff was uh, talked about when the first Deadpool movie came out. Can an R-rated, or in England, 15-rated movie about comic book heroes possibly make any money, forgetting the fact that the Blade franchise was exactly that. Now, the first one was a good film. The second one was directed by Guillermo del Toro and is an amazing sequel. It's an, one of those examples where, arguably, it takes the original and betters it. The problem is, the third one is not a terrible film. It's just after two really good Blade films, four star, five star, arguably, the final Blade film is rather underwhelming with a rather naff Dracula main baddie, and it doesn't work. It undeniably doesn't work. 
but it's sort of two and a half stars. It's certainly not an unmitigated dumpster fire of a film, but it was a bit of a whimper at the end of such a strong start to those movies. But yeah, you want to see a black superhero right now on DVD or, or Sky or, you know, streaming it, you can watch Blade right now and you're going to see some good stuff there. So Black Panther, the movie... I have to be honest, when I saw the trailers, I thought, mm, same old, same old. There is a lot of CGI in this movie. And if there's one thing that sort of knocks it down from five stars, it's the over-reliance on CGI. The too often do we see these amazing cityscapes like, for example, Valhalla in the Thor movies. And yes, in one way, it looks really cool. And you can't do this stuff with miniatures or you know, obviously build an entire imaginary city. But CGI does sometimes feel a little bit weightless. And and yeah, I, I think this movie, if it has, suffers from one thing, that's what it suffers from. I happen to think that Black Panther has an amazing script. Is it the cleverest script ever? No. But what I particularly like about it is little comments that are made at certain points come back and have payoffs later on. And too often there is lazy screenwriting where that doesn't happen. There's whole scenes in, for example, The Hateful Eight. I really think that's uh, Quentin Tarantino's weakest movie. There's a whole scene where they're sort of struggling with a storm and they're putting up staves. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to have a payoff later. It is never mentioned again. It's several minutes of an overly long film, which didn't need to be there. It didn't add to plot or character. It served no purpose. And... Nothing like that happens in Black Panther. Everything is there for a reason. It's a really smart film. But what I found interesting is rather than some big CGI epic moments in the movie, I love the scenes where there were battles between two men. And OK, they might have been doing it on a green screen backdrop, but these two men were fighting it out, stripped to the waist. You know, no trickery, as it were. This is just swords or spears and brute strength and martial skill. And it was thrilling to see. It reminded me a little bit of Gladiator. But that is an example of trial by combat. In the case of Black Panther, the idea is when you become the new Black Panther. And, and to be clear, T'Challa is the son of the previous Black Panther and previous king of an imaginary African kingdom called Wakanda. And when you become the new king slash Black Panther, and the idea of Black Panther is he is the guardian of Wakanda... But all the different tribes are allowed to potentially challenge. And actually nobody does, but then we do get some challenges. I won't go into plot spoilers if you haven't seen the movie. If you haven't, you're probably the only one of three people on planet Earth that hasn't seen the movie by now. But anyway, the point is there is an opportunity potentially to break the chain of father-son, father-son by doing this trial by combat. And uh, just a little bit on Wakanda. So Wakanda is obviously an imaginary kingdom in Africa. It seems to be roughly in the middle and it's fabulously wealthy and incredibly advanced scientifically because it's founded on top of a gigantic meteorite of vibranium, which vibranium and adamantium seem to be Marvel's two favourite magic metals. And again, if there was one tiny little criticism, what we've seen about vibranium in the past is it's basically an indestructible metal. So if you build a suit of armour out of it, which is what Black Panther has, then you're really not going to be able to do much damage to him so that allows him to be cool he's kind of iron man plus although he can't actually fly but yes the black panther suit 
is not just spandex. It's actually meant to be this amazing armor. But it also now seems to be an energy source. I can think of no other metal that is both hard and robust, which could be used as armor, and can also be used somehow to run power plants. But it does mean that it's an incredibly advanced, incredibly sophisticated African civilization, which doesn't actually exist, which is when I'm going to, in a minute, come on to this cultural appropriation thing. But, but first of all, trial by combat is part of a series of ideas of trial by ordeal, which was very much an early medieval concept. It was an idea of judgment of God. So they are ridiculous to modern ears. I will give you two examples. So one of them is trial by fire, where you might get, uh, I might have a dispute with you over, let's say, a piece of land. And I say, you're lying. You've just taken my land. It's my land. But there is no documentation to prove it either way, in which case the court will say, OK, Jem, if you say this is your land, then God will protect you. So what we'll do is we'll put a metal bar in a fire and we'll heat it up so it's glowing red hot. And then we will then put that metal bar into your hand. And you must then hold this sizzling metal bar searing into your flesh and take 10 paces. And then you can drop the bar and then we will wrap your hand up with a cloth. And then we'll give you a very short amount of time. And it wasn't always like one day, it might just be one week. But the idea was if after a week, let's say, you take off the bandage and there your wound has disappeared, then God has healed you because you are telling the truth. I think you can spot the problem with this form of judicial system. And it was the same thing with trial by combat. The idea was that rather than sort this out in a court of law with documents, we'll literally have a fight over it. It was heavily regulated. It wasn't just like, let's just start a fight. You had to have witnesses. There were loads of strict rules. And you could ask for a champion, somebody to represent you. So everyone, e even medieval Europe, recognized that obviously big, strong guys might pick on wimpy little guys and say, that's my land. So the wimpy little guys were allowed to pick their own big strapping six-footer to defend them. But of course, the idea here is the same logic with the Iron Bar, that God will supervise the fight from behind the scenes or on high, and the most righteous person will win the day, will sort of beat the other person up or knock them to the ground or draw first blood. You get the idea. Except, once again, let's be honest, that's not how the world works. So it's actually, what's interesting is I've mentioned medieval, but it's early medieval. By the time we get to the high medieval period, sort of like the late 1300s, the early 1400s, nobody is doing trial by ordeals or trial by combat or preying on reliquaries and things like that anymore. All of Europe has a complex judicial system. But except for Wakanda, which still seems to think that this is a good idea. I, I digress. But, it, you know, it's cool. It's absolutely cool on the screen and you believe it in the moment. It's just not a very good judicial system or indeed a way to ensure the next generation of king is the best one. However, what's interesting is in Black Panther, they have a Black Panther god, which is unusual because when you look at Africa, most of Africa is either Christian 
or Muslim. There are local tribal quirks, but quite often they are wrapped up within Christianity. But this seems to have been forgotten about completely in Wakanda, and they all pray to, well, they seem to have certain animal gods, but to fun, funnily enough, the most important one is Bast, the Black Panther god who looks like a black panther. I think you've got the imagery going now, okay? Now, I don't know. Clearly, in some parts of this movie, they've done a lot of research about African heritage. Coming on to that in a moment. But this is the bit that I I find it hard to believe it's a coincidence because in ancient Egypt, they had loads of gods, quite often with animal heads. You know the ones like Horus and Thoth. They had a lesser known female cat god called Bastet, which sounds very similar to Bast. Now, interestingly, Bastet sometimes got promotions or demotions. She seemed to be the god of domesticated cats. Cats were considered quite holy and important. They seem to have been believed to have walked between both the human world and the spirit world, which, you know, I think most people still kind of half believe. So some show, sometimes she was in charge of domestic cats. Sometimes she was seemed to be in charge of lions. Let's face it, that's cooler. But we are talking about thousands of years. So unsurprising that her role changed over that time. I don't know for a fact if Marvel's discovered that and re- purposed her into the Black Panther god, but Bastet and Bast sound quite similar. Just a final point on that, I always like Terry Pratchett's quote, thousands of years ago ancient Egyptians worshipped cats as gods. Cats have not forgotten this. Wonderful, wonderful quote there. Okay, so let's now move on to the slightly thorny issue of cultural appropriation. There has been a huge outpouring. It seems that Black Panther has been a much needed movie in a black community. And where it does genuinely differ to the likes of Blade is whereas the central character is black, Wesley Snipes. It was written by a white guy. It was directed by a white guy. Most of the people in the movie are white guys. I think you can spot the pattern here. Whereas what's uh, pretty impressive and important about Black Panther is virtually the entire crew and cast are black. There are a couple of white guys in the movie. And indeed, there is a scene early on in a fictionalized British museum. It's not the British museum. It seems to be a British museum. And just a point on that, they they don't seem to understand how museums work. If somebody asks, uh, you can go to a museum and ask to get a curator to talk you through a specific part of the exhibits. That's fine. And if you organise it early enough, you can absolutely have that. But if the stuff is still behind shatterproof glass, it's already in its security setting, you're not going to be followed around by a bunch of security guards. However, in a critical scene, that's exactly what's happening. And all these guards seem to be very tense and edgy around this guy. And it is worth remembering, in Britain, you can't carry guns. So security guards in museums are basically enthusiastic followers of history, and that's their shield against uh, an attack. So the whole thing is rather big overkill. They also mention a mask from Benin, and I'll be talking about Benin a little bit later on, but that whole scene is wonderful cinematically. But if you know how a museum works, doesn't actually work as a scene, but don't worry about that. However, the idea is that Wakanda, while made up, shows you the best of Africa. 
But I think it is just worth pausing very briefly on the topic of cultural appropriation. I recently saw, a, I have no interest in Little Mix the band. I am not their target demographic. I'm a middle-aged man, but I know that they exist and I just happened to see this crop up. One of the singers, a white girl, got her hair done in dreadlocks and she was heavily criticized by a vocal minority saying, that's cultural appropriation. You might not have realized it, but you need to undo your hair. Now, the way I see cultural appropriation is when you take an important piece of somebody's culture, it's quite often religious or part of ritual, and you trivialize it. I'll give you an example. There are the dream catchers in some Native American tribes. It is part of an important ritual about spirituality and the idea that human beings can drift from one plane of existence to another plane of existence. They're never meant to be sold in multicolors in various spiritual healing shops in England. That's pretty disrespectful. It's a bit like, I don't know, somebody in Japan uh, wearing a crucifix. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Cuz it's cool and they sort of spray can the crucifix so it sort of looks like it's got splash damage on it but it's pretty disrespectful to Christians around the world i agree with that level of cultural appropriation but this idea that a haircut that has no religious symbology can't be worn by another race that's just you getting your knickers in a twist and getting upset about something that you don't need to get upset about. And also, whereas there seems to have been this mass celebration about look at all these different interesting elements of African cultures put into Black Panther, which really does make Wakanda feel African in inverted commas. But this is made by Disney. And the other thing that's worth remembering is Africa is not the same thing as a country. It's a continent. If 
in England, we just culturally appropriated everything from Germany and Italy and said, oh, it's okay, we're all white and we all come from the same continent. No, that's not good enough. And I'm not sure. For example, you've got the river people who have their lips extended with sort of plates or stones. That seems to have originated from Ethiopia about 8,000 years ago. Now, interesting that sort of plate lip has independently evolved in other cultures around the world, most notably in Central America. These two cultures were never connected, but just seems to have been independently they've done that. There's also a number of people uh, with scars, sort of uh, ritual tribal scars. And that scarring, depending on whether it's on your face or chest or different types of scarring, that appears in lots of different tribes around Africa. But then you've got the imperial bodyguard, the king's bodyguard, led by these women. Again, that's something I'm going to be coming on to later. But the way they've got their shaved heads and the reason and the way they are sort of standing tall and they've got these hoops around their necks, uh, that sort of neck extension again has cropped up in a number of different cultures around the world, but is sort of more specifically in Africa, in the Kenyan area. And I would argue that the way they are dressed and armed, they kind of look like sci-fi Maasai warriors, which again is Kenya, which isn't particularly close to Ethiopia, and so on and so forth. You've got lots of different cultures from across an entire continent being smashed in together. It's all done respectfully. Everything is cool, but if you're going to scream cultural appropriation at some things, I think you need to point the finger also at Black Panther. Or you can just realise that some people are doing things cynically, in which case they should be called out. Some people are doing things disrespectfully, in which case they should also be called out. Or sometimes people just want a nice haircut or want a movie to look cool, in which case you should go with it, because at least it's a way of getting part of your culture out there to a greater audience. Anyway, that's my point on cultural appropriation. Let's get to this fem elite female bodyguard of the of the Black Panther. That's cool, pure and simple. Okay. However, there is precedence to this. Uh, they're called the Dahomey Amazons. Now, I said earlier that they happen to show in passing a, a mask which is meant to be from Benin, and actually uh, Benin. Uh, used to have its kingdom of Dahomey towards the north of modern day Benin. And Dahomey is, it has other names and I'm going to, um, going to be very careful with this because I'm not going to try and pronounce a whole load of African names because I'm, I don't want to get them wrong, okay? Dahomey seems to be the uh, anglicization, Europeanization name of this kingdom. You can look it up if you want. And it was a relatively wealthy kingdom. It ran from about 1600 to nearly 1900. Um, so, you know, it existed for hundreds of years. And what was interesting is over the time, you start getting this evolution of this elite female corps of warriors. These are like the Amazons of old, but these are real. They genuinely fought. And what's interesting is, you know, they lasted into the 19th century. So there are actual photographs of these women and they weren't all sort of spear chucking savages or the, any other cliches. They were armed with the most modern weapons available at the time. 
And so there are pictures of these women with muskets and with rifles. And there's also pictures of them holding uh, the decapitated heads of their enemies. These were not for show. These women genuinely fought. And while they certainly didn't win every battle, they were feared. These women were not allowed to marry or have children um, while they were members of the Dahomey Amazons. When they were when they retired, they were allowed to do these things. So a lot of them were sort of virgins and they were considered almost sort of semi semi-legendary even in their own lifetimes. They were treated with the utmost respect. If you want to talk about sort of cultural uh, culture and misogyny, well, here's an example where women were clearly up the scale in pecking order. And also these were not decorative women used only in ceremonies. These were frontline troops and they fought hard as well. It's nice to see that it, uh, it was only in 2017 that the British army allowed women to fight in frontline army roles. Well done for catching up with the Dahomey Amazons who've been doing it for 300 years. They fought against the French. It was ultimately the French that captured Benin and they fought them multiple times to stand still. But ultimately, I think it was the third war against the French. The French finally managed to conquer the area. But it shows you that they were no mean feat in doing so because the first two times and indeed multiple battles, the French did get the worse of it. And that's even with they would have had a slight technological edge for the time. However, the leader of the Amazons in the movie uh, they're not actually referred to as Amazons. They're kind of like the elite god. She has a quandary because she seems to be loyal to the crown. Whoever's on the throne, she will do her best to protect them, whether she disregards their political points of view or whatever. I am doing my best to try and avoid spoilers here. But in a weird way, it reminded me of William Marshall. I said I was going to get to him. Who's he? And what's a white guy doing in the middle of all this uh, stuff about Wakanda? Well, I would argue that this, this female general of the guard in Black Panther shares the same quandary as William Marshall did in the 12th century. William Marshall was a knight in the 1100s, and he earned his money becoming a tournament champion. In the Middle Ages, there was an opportunity to fight very large, sort of, almost simulated battles. They were still dangerous. People still died, but they weren't battle battles. They were more competition, almost like the Hunger Games, you could say. What William Marshall was particularly clever about is he would on the field of battle. And it was literally, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a joust. Those things came later and joust evolved from these tournaments, from these melees, because they were so dangerous and so expensive that they decided to streamline it all. And that turned into jousting. But what William Marshall did was while he was on the field of battle is he would always try and capture the richest guy on the other side, because if you held them for ransom, you could earn good money. And he did that enough that he was able to rise from a very lowly uh, status to being one of the premier knights of his age. And so he became one of the main military marshal servants to Henry II, King of England. Okay, so far so good. And indeed, it was during this era that William Marshall is the only man to dehorse Richard the Lionheart. Now, Richard the Lionheart was a terrible king of England, but he was an amazing general. 
And so the fact that William Marshall was able to best Richard in his prime shows you genuinely William Marshall was quite the quite the soldier, quite the knight. So at towards the end of Henry II's life, Richard was in open rebellion against his dad. There was a civil war going on and William, of course, was backing Henry and he was fighting on his side. When Henry dies in 1189, you would therefore think that William would be sort of shunned from court and there would be bad blood between him and Richard, but that's not what happened. William, much like the general in Black Panther, recognised his loyalty to the crown and not to the man. So it is said that he served five kings. That's not technically true because actually the young King Henry, which was the son of Henry II and indeed should have become King of England, he died before he was ever king. But So let's not, for, let's not include him. That, that's not fair, okay? But he did serve four. Henry II, he served as a knight. Richard the Lionheart, Richard I, he also served as a knight. Then when we've got King John coming to power in 1199, 10 years later, by now William's getting on in his years, but he is still a key advisor to John. And then when John dies, you've got his nine-year-old son, Henry III, uh, coming into power in 1216 after John <laughs> dies from eating too many peaches. What a way to go. Anyway, at that stage, Everybody looks to William Marshall as becoming the chief regent to Henry III. By now, he's quite an old man uh, and he dies in Henry III's reign. Indeed, Henry III ruled for about 50 years. It's sort of forgotten how long he ruled England. But anyway, the point is that William Marshall was just seen as this great, neutral and reliable servant to the crown that everybody, all factions could agree that if they could get William involved in this, it was all worthwhile. It was all definitely going to work. And I would say the spirit of that absolutely exists in this general, this fearsome warrior who can absolutely, uh, who could absolutely fight to the death for any person on the throne rather than everybody else. Okay. So I said I would finish off with the most expensive holiday in history. And again, I am going back to the world of African culture. There is this idea for some reason that that um, black Africa has never had uh, highly complex civilizations and cultures. That is patently untrue. All you have to do is do the, even the most cursory of Google searches and you'll find some amazingly sophisticated cultures. I've already mentioned Dahomey, which probably is something you, you've never heard of. So allow me to now tell you about something else, the Empire of Mali. So Mali is now in modern day sort of central western Africa. The empire sort of spread all the way out to the coast and covers a whole host, probably about five or six different countries today were part of the Malian empire 
back in the day. The Malian empires lasted for about 400 years through the Middle Ages to in, into the roughly the 1600s. If you want to compare that with something like the Plantagenet kings and queens of England, well, they lasted about 350 years. So this was by no means a short run empire. But what's interesting is at its peak round about 1300, it is estimated that it was producing about half of the known world, i.e. not the Americas, about half of the known world's gold. And the king who was around at that time was, uh, he was called Mansa Musa. Now, Musa is his actual name and Mansa was his title, like king or emperor, just the quirk of the language, okay? He was Musa I and Mansa Musa is arguably the richest human in history because if you've got half the world's gold, yeah, that's pretty impressive. Now, um, you might be going, Mali, that's about as obscure as it gets. And it is. It's not a country that tends to be on people's map of on list of places I've got to visit. But it does have a hugely important cultural centre that everybody's heard of. And indeed, this name is synonymous with middle of nowhere or extremely exotic. And that is Timbuktu. Timbuktu was an incredibly cultural, important cultural centre, epicentre for Islamic scholars. Musa and the civilization of Mali was Muslim. And one of the tenets of Islam, there are the five pillars of Islam. There are these things that every Muslim, every good Muslim has to do. And one of them is you must go on pilgrimage to Mecca called the Hajj. If you have enough money, if you're staggeringly poor and you live many, many miles away from, from Mecca, you are not obliged. But if you have the resources, you should go. And oh my goodness, did Musa have the resources to go on pilgrimage. And indeed he did from 13 24 to 1325, he went on procession. Now, people have ruined their country through wars, but what Musa wanted to do was obviously do his Islamic duty, but also show off and remind everybody the wealth of what this empire had. Now, listen to this. His retinue, the people that he took on holiday with him, were 60,000 men. Now, to give you an idea, 1320s, the Battle of Bannockburn wasn't far off that time, and that was a big battle between Scotland and England, and yet there wouldn't have been more than 30,000 people on the battlefield. That's both armies you lumped together. So just in terms of his holiday trek to Mecca, he could produce double what the United Kingdom could produce in battle. And of that 60,000, 12,000 were slaves. A brief reminder to say that not all slavery was white on black crime, okay? And indeed in Africa, there were all, pretty much all the cultures had slavery and would take slaves from each other. Of course, later on, they'd take those slaves and sell them onto the white man, but slavery was not invented by white people, okay? Now, of these slaves, each one carried four pounds weight of gold bars, and his heralds were dressed in the finest silks. They each had a gold staff. They had horses as well. This is all obviously expensive stuff, but it gets better because Musa ensured that this entire 60,000 retinue was fed every day at his expense. And, <laughs> and that's for over a year, by the way. And he had 80 camels, uh, which each carried between 50 and 300 pounds weight of gold dust. 
And he also had a few elephants thrown into that every day in there as well, I should say. And it's almost like that scene in that other Disney film, Aladdin, where, you know, you've got Prince Ali and you've got the song and he's like, he's got the camels, got the camels. And there's all this just ridiculous stuff coming in after Prince Ali. That basically really happened for real with Mansa Musa. It was reported that obviously Friday is the holy day for Muslims. And so that every Friday, he didn't just go to mosque, he built a mosque every Friday. And then, interestingly, he accidentally caused a huge disaster because when he went to, he went through Egypt to the Middle East. And uh, Egypt at that time was the epicenter of the Mamluk civilization. And he basically bankrupted Egypt. He flooded the markets with so much gold. And this is at a time when gold was an incredibly expensive commodity. It therefore makes it very hard. You could equate all these weights to an actual value in monetary terms today. But you also have to take on to the fact that gold was rarer in the 1300s than it is today. And therefore, to put an actual value on what he was worth is kind of impossible, but just he could buy anything, including France, if he wanted to at that time. So he flooded Egypt accidentally through his sort of sheer generosity with so much gold, he destroyed the economy. Hyperinflation kicked in. And there's a famous Islamic traveller and scholar and, and writer called Ibn Battuta. And he arrived in Egypt about 10 years after uh, Musa had been there. And the economy was still in the doldrums because of what Musa had accidentally done with so much gold. You know, when you can destroy an economy with too much gold, you know that that person is wealthy. So the idea that the Mali Empire could just do outdo anything anywhere else in the world, in a way, reminds me of what of the way Wakanda is set up in uh, in Black Panther, and and there are a number of hugely important cultural centres, economic centres in Africa throughout the centuries, and the Malian Empire, by the way, lasted. I, you know, roughly about 500 years. Again, you know, that completely outstrips things like Competian France or Bourbon France. So, you know, the, these are long-standing empires which had real longevity, cultural importance. They were innovative. They were wealthy. They were well-organized and structured and very much pushes against the cliche of third world disaster that you get in, in modern day Africa. That is largely because of all these imperial powers in interfering in local tribal traditions. Don't have time for all that. But yes, you could say when you look at the Malian Empire, you could say that Wakanda really has existed in Africa at certain points. So there you go. That is Neon's tour around Black Panther covering everything from vampires to expensive holidays to very aggressive women. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Keep listening out. You know there's going to be more good pop culture turned into history coming up soon. I'm Jem Daduccio, and thank you very much for listening to this one. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 